Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. OutKick 360, final hour of the week. We're glad you're with us across the OutKick network. Hit us up on Twitter at OutKick 316. If you missed parts of the show throughout the week or today, you can always just search OutKick 360 on YouTube or wherever you download your podcast audio. Austin Price sends a text. He's going to join momentarily. We're going to hit VolQuest.com headlines on the very latest on college football. Boys, I've noticed something about myself that I hate, and I have a, I have a long list, but this is something new. Yeah. Um, I just did this with the bathroom attendant, and as soon as I did it, I'm like, this is turning into a thing. I called him boss rather than chief. Oh, wow. What the hell is going on there? Real fundamental shift. Wow. For me. Uh, That's trouble. I got to get back to my roots, to my core. What's more condescending, calling uh, the bathroom attendant chief or boss? When, well, talking, when talking to the bathroom I, attendant. I don't know, but either way, I got to be true to chief. To me, it is... Boss. The tone. I don't know. No, it's not, boss is more kind of It's the tone yes. in which you say it, but uh, uh, my tone's delightful, as you know. Yeah, like the guy. Like, it's like my email tone. <laughs> I'm trying to think of. Uh, yeah, it's a great, great That's way to a say throwback. it. Uh, I someone calls me boss. It, I, I take it like, man, what a douchebag. You know, like what about chief? Hey, boss. Chief's chief's fine because I think it chief's depends. Chief's flexible on, word. That's it's the flexible. Thing. Yeah, and it's one way or the other. I think you can pick up on which side of the uh, equation you're on. And I use based it on in the all tone. ways. Yeah, exactly. I don't think I think boss is just kind of a a Maybe. cheap way of saying like uh, Wycheck would say it to people um, whenever he couldn't remember their name. You know, that's how I would. Oh boy, he used a lot of old boy. Oh boy, also. there you go. Yeah. Which is also for his not producers. A good one. Not a good one just for to his producers around. who'd worked for six months, whose names he no didn't doubt. Know. Yeah, like I just take it like the guy. Clearly doesn't have any interest <laughs> in knowing me or thing. talking to me. Yeah. Here's, uh, a, here's another problem I'm having. Uh, you guys just laid out some excellent baseball parlays that I wanted to jump on, and I forgot yes. that last night I tried to get on FanDuel, and it told me my account was suspended. And I got really? on there to have a chat with somebody, and they said, yeah, I can't help you, but this has already been put in for review. You'll hear from somebody. I haven't heard from anybody. Put in for review? Uh, so now I feel like the cops so did, are going to come. Did you recently win a lot? No. Did someone try? <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if someone tried to hack your account and they froze it or something. Could be. I, I was thinking it'd be even better if you parlors. won like seven in a row and they're they're suspecting you of like insider yeah, trading. I would love for the, it to be suspended you've for that some, reason. You've got some inside info that they want to investigate. No, I think I've won like one of my last three, and usually my lately my bets have been like three leg Yankee game bets. You know. I, uh, with my betting lately, I've gone completely away from, we had the run where Jacob Swanson would give us the strikeout props yeah. over and over. We'd play it every day with whatever he suggested. I think this entire season I've played maybe two prop bets outside of Moneyline. Like, wow. I've really dumbed it down. I go Moneyline, then every weekend I'm betting on someone 
close to the top leaderboard in a PGA Tour event. I'll, I'll pick a couple of guys, and I'll never take the favorite. But on Friday or Saturday, I'll pick a guy that's a stroke or two back and see if I can get big odds on a winner. Are you still doing – I really like that you were – like on a night that you were watching maybe the Braves, you'd pick a game that was close and bet the team that was losing to I come love back by two runs. I don't do that enough. I to like me, that's that. the most fun is a weekend night if you've just got a baseball game on and you go and look and you see a, a team is up one to nothing in the second – and they're still uh, the underdog. Ton of, yeah. For instance, I'm thinking, okay, I'll take a chance on that. Uh, you see some that seem a little – they seem that way for a reason, but seems like the line's disproportionate based on the odds and the score, and I'll jump on some of those. That's fun. Some of the, I, I'm locked out, so have fun tonight. We'll bet your you honor. You guys are going to win that $100 parlay, and well, I'm going to – We'll bet your honor. I'm gonna, it's going to be like, like Cam Smith. Tell us what you like, and we'll play it. Yeah, I like the Yanks. Um, Austin's going to join us in just a moment. I want to point out, point out this headline uh, because I, I love the reporting with the Patriots because it's a lot of long-tenured reporters uh, who remind me of like the old-school way of going about things. They dig uh, for info, and uh, they observe a lot. Everyone, though, is trying to figure out who's calling plays in New England. Matt Patricia has been noticed on the walkie at practice. Not Joe Judge. But here's the thing. Could be fake. No. Belichick has been recently calling offensive plays. Yeah, I, I, I've thought that that is a possibility all along, just because it's so weird. We've talked about the weirdness. So if that's the case, you can expect about seven passes a game coming from the Patriots. But also you're – Very run heavy. Also you're really expecting big things from his son and from Gerard Mayo because and, he's then removing himself from defense. And Malcolm Butler told reporters that Belichick has not been working with the defense so far in camp. I'm sure he loved him saying that. Um, I just, I mean, that's a storyline I was not expecting to, to, to hear, that Bill Belichick is calling offensive plays in New England. All just to avoid hiring one offensive guy. And it didn't have to be an outsider. He must hate uh, Bill O'Brien for some reason. Although it was Brady and Belichick that would come up with specific things that Brady wanted in the offensive oh, game sure. plan. Sure. I mean, the head coach of that caliber is going to be involved, but you would have a lieutenant. It's Yes. Uh, plenty of offense to discuss in Knoxville with the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, we know who's calling plays there, for sure, uh, with Josh Heupel. Uh, Austin Price joins us. He calls the plays at VolQuest.com. Austin, good to see you, man. Good to see you guys. How are you? We're uh, doing uh, very well. Uh, what has been the, uh, the tenor in Knoxville in reaction to Eli Drinkwitz? Uh, taking some shots at, at Pruitt. I won't say the program. It's mainly Pruitt's staff um, and what was going on there with uh, – he's joking around, but he went straight at the uh, the possibility to get a win back. Uh, it was a, a loss where they went behind the woodshed. Yeah, I mean, do you even get a win back or do you just – it's just a no contest? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't change your record. I think it's, it's yeah. just – yeah, you don't get the win. He just, just erases the, claim the loss. Victory. It erases the loss. Well, he's going to take it anyway, clearly. Well, that's good. It takes, I mean, it takes 63 clearly, points clearly off Clearly that matters. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, hey, I mean, I get he's trying to be funny. I mean, you know, he made some, you know, off – Cuff comment about you know his you know questioning his wife's commitment to win which is and, great you know stuff like that I mean it's the off season as as Coach Spurrier used to call it it's talking season it's talking season talking season's over though come uh, this weekend as uh, you know a lot of schools will start reporting and practice will start next week and 
you know, it's time to kind of put all that stuff aside. But I mean, hey, not much. I mean, everybody either laughed because, you know, he lost to, to Coach Pruitt and got blown out last year um, to the point where, you know, Tennessee really called off the dogs and still walked the dog. Um, and, and, you know, they just don't put much stock in it. They're all expecting if Tennessee can hang 60 on them this year, they'll do so. Austin Price with us. Austin, I, I, I laugh at the, the response from the NCAA saying that Tennessee is, you know, this is exactly how you handle an NCAA investigation. The standard. It's the new standard, which can be true. If you have a coach that you're trying to fire with cause and you don't want to pay his buyout, so you're going to continue the investigation and actually find more than what has originally uh, been either admitted to or found to begin with, that's the, the real uh, point of emphasis here is they had Pruitt's buyout that they didn't want to pay. They were firing him with cause, and they found plenty of reason to do so, which is perfectly fine here. But to each his own, if you don't want your coach gone, you're probably not going to try to dig up more dirt than what the NCAA is going to find. No. Um, you know, and the truth of the matter is, is, honestly, if you went to any program in the Power Five and you dug hard enough, you would find reasons to fire said coach to – Avoid the buyout, right? I mean, you know, uh, that's just that's just pretty much facts. Um, you know, with that said, you know, I, you know, Tennessee, you know, they went a certain way. Um, you know, I certainly thought it was a, a gamble uh, when Don D. Plowman had the the initial press conference and talked about all the level one violations and so on and so forth and you know, kind of went down that road um, just because how many teams like Oklahoma State a couple of years ago that, you know, it's, hey, I, I I did it. I'm guilty. I throw myself at the mercy and there wasn't much mercy shown for a very small um, deal. And so um, it, it, the NCAA has very much struggled to have leniency on those who have tried to do right and has not been able to throw enough uh, – uh, hammers at the teams that have just, you know, flipped them the proverbial bird and said, nah, we're good. We don't need to meet with you guys. We're not doing anything. We're just going to keep trucking. Um, so it was a calculated gamble, but it, it certainly looks like Tennessee has come out on the other side of this thing, um, you know, in, in, in good spot, no matter what some of the national headlines said last week. I mean, anybody that right. actually follows this knows that, you know, Tennessee's pretty much behind all this. I mean, like when you think about they've already imposed 12, they're under a few more this year. You can just throw those. I, I've said this all week. Instead of giving the, the walk-on from Wartburg, you know, free education for the fall and letting him be on scholarship for the football season because you have a few, nah, we're just going to self-impose those two. We'll throw those to you. We'll do some other recruiting restrictions that no one else will notice, and you'll be right, You'll have it behind you. And uh, that's what it certainly feels like as, uh, you know, the notice of allegations came and uh, saw no lack of institutional control. Yeah, put me in the category of people who doubted the approach from Tennessee at the time, but it does look like it may have worked, uh, even financially paying the millions of dollars the law firm. When you take that out and then you negate the buyout to Pruitt and his staff, then it, it may have worked financially and with the NCAA for Tennessee, which I doubted at the time. Tennessee's defense going into this year, Austin, um, obviously you want improvement there. You don't need a great defense to be successful if you're going to play offense the way Josh Heupel plays offense. But you, you need more. And I know you guys wrote about the need to finish this year on defense. When you see what's coming back, 
do you see improvement with the defense this year where Tennessee can go up another level with this schedule? Yeah, I, I, I just think there's more quality bodies. Um, now, I, I, I think that you'll feel the loss of a Theo Jackson, a Matthew Butler, um, but I do think that there's just so much more depth now than they had a year ago. So I, I don't think, you know, I think, you know, a, a year ago the wrong injury could really, you know, depleted them hard. I, I think, you know, that would – it would take a few injuries to deplete them hard. I just think they're a deeper unit. Now, I think they're going to play the same aggressive style. Um, you know, I, I think they've got to be better in the secondary. To me, the big, the biggest question is the secondary. Um, I, I just wonder wh- what members are going to be a part of that secondary and what's it look like, let's say, game one versus game five. Is it the same, or do we see some change out uh, over time? Um, I, I think that uh... – uh, Byron Young's got a chance to be really good for Tennessee on yep. defense. I was surprised to see where he was in the preseason All-SEC uh, team this year. Did it surprise you at all? And what are the expectations going into the season? No, I mean, I don't think so. I, you know, the league's got just so much talent in it. Um, you know, I, I think anytime Tennessee, you know, can fly under the radar, so to speak, it's a good thing. Um, I think it's a good thing for Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee's ever played the role of favorite well, too well. I, I'm saying this is he's first team All SEC voted by the media preseason. No, I should no, no, I that know that, that, but it yeah. didn't surprise me that it did not surprise me that he's first team. Okay. What I'm saying though is is like on the whole, like several of those guys were kind of put you know in second and third team roles, like Cedric Tillman. So like Byron Young is is unaffected whether he's first team or uh, I mean, that kid. The kid was working at Dollar General Store a couple of years ago. You think? I mean, like I don't think he bats an eye at anything like that. I don't, he, he could be first team All American at the end of the year, and I think he'd say that's awesome, and I, I'm I'm very appreciative. But I think he looks at things with a much bigger scope. So, like, I don't think that necessarily affects him, whereas it can be a, dr- a driving force for some of those other guys that maybe felt like they were snubbed a little bit. Um, and, and and you look at the way he played at the tail end of last year. Like, I'm not surprised that that, that you know. He was voted there. I voted him there, um, you know, just because I think that he's kind of has a self-driven motor that, you know, lends itself to, you know, having a massive year. This is a contract year for him. For him, It's also a contract year for a guy like Tyler Barron, who I'm told has been really good all summer long, um, really focused, really bought in. And, um, you know, it's it's a contract year for some of these guys. Some of these guys think, I'm going to ball out. I'm going to go to the league. We'll see if that happens, but we, you know, you see, it's I call it the Jeff Blouser effect. You for you, you guys in Nashville, you call it the Albert Hainsworth effect. Um, but it, you know, when when you're driven and motivated, you can kind of you know exceed maybe some expectations that even others didn't have for you. Not a lot of glaring holes or huge questions on the offensive side for Tennessee, Austin, except I, for tackle opposite Darnell Wright, and that's yep. what I wanted to ask you: who's the who's the front runner as they get ready to start camp uh, this weekend at tackle? Not a lot of questions, Chad, but a pretty big one, the one they do have. Um, you know, I, man, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that they are leaning one way or the other. J.J. Crawford, um, you know, I don't think Dane Davis will, will be the left tackle. Um, I think he's more apt to spell Darnell right, right tackle if something happened to Darnell or Darnell need a breather or maybe even play some guard. You know, I mean, he's worked a little bit of guard. I'd like to see some of that maybe even in, in, in fall camp. Uh, the other option besides J.J. Crawford is Gerald Mincy. And I think, you know, talking to people, Mincy's the most talented of the two. Now, what's his motor like? What? How driven is he? That's, 
that's a big question that I want to see in fall camp. Um, some people at Florida, you know, love to suggest that he didn't love football too much. We'll see if he can prove people wrong. What is the upcoming schedule as they get practice going? And uh, what can we expect to see uh, in Knoxville as they uh, – there's a buildup to the full pads and all that stuff, but the scrimmages, of course, are the ones we circled. Do we have those yet? Um, the scrimmages are a week from Sunday. Okay. Um, so what is that? The, the seventh. We're about a week in yeah, – yeah, we're 10 days away. Yeah. Yeah, it, no, it won't be. It won't be. It will be the fourteenth. The first scrimmage is fourteenth. Okay. Um, so you're looking at, at, at those at those time frames. But the first practice in pa- uh, the first practice in shells, I think, is Wednesday. So they'll do Monday, Tuesday, in uh, shorts and t-shirts or jerseys, whatever you want to call it. Then they shift into shells, and then and that's really when it starts because at that point they can thud. And you know, it, it in modern day football, there's not a whole lot of heavy, heavy tackling, big hitting um, in practice. So. You know, you kind of start being able to practice, you know, the way you, at least in, in modern-day football, you want to once you throw on the shells. Hey, so, Wednesday's a big day. How's the stadium looking? Yeah, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Virtually finished for that scrimmage? Um, I don't think they'll – I don't think they'll scrimmage at the stadium at all. I think they'll scrimmage over at the practice field. And uh, the first time they'll roll into Neyland is for that uh, September 1st tilt with Ball State. Um you know, it's it's getting close. Inside's looking good, and uh, they're just really, honestly, you know, hammering out a few last final touches. Uh, you know, I think there might be a waiting on a couple of things, but nothing that's you know going to cause it to be delayed or anything like that. It sounds like uh, it's going to be a full a full go come September first. Austin Price, FallQuest.com. How did the big recruiting weekend go last weekend, and uh, what's on the horizon? It's this now? weekend. Oh, this weekend. It's this weekend. Um, well, I, you know, Tavion Gadsden, to me, he's the most important player because he's a 23 uh, defensive lineman. Um, he's in town, uh, has been in, you know, over in Pigeon Forge, Gallenberg area the last few days with his family. And then, you know, they're going to see Tennessee uh, starting uh, in the morning, bright and early. And then, you know, getting some of your uh, guys like Sean Davion Bradley, John Slaughter, Trevor Duncan, some of those committed guys back to campus is, is big. And then, you know, trying to host a host of 24s uh, as well. Carson Gentle, the young man from Macaulay who just committed to Tennessee. He'll be in town. Marcus Gorey, who is from Bradley Central, will be in town. Thought Boo Carter was going to make it in, but he's going to end up going to Georgia this weekend. So I know Tennessee will be trying to get him back to campus for an early season game, probably probably the Florida game, probably the one you circle, circle trying to get him back to campus. Austin, have a great weekend as always. Football is here. It is here, and uh, we can't wait to discuss it with you on a weekly basis. Which means a Christmas tree is going to be here any moment now at Austin Price's yeah. house with the arrival of football All season. Hallows Eve. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. Thank Later. you. Austin Priceless on Twitter is where you can follow him. And, of course, he and Brent and everyone at VolQuest uh, do a fantastic job with their Vols and SEC coverage. Coming up, a uh, couple of things. First, Pac-12 and the Big 12. The quotes from the commissioners. Throwing grenades. About each other. We're here for it. We're here for the grenade. Uh, We will discuss who launches them better. Uh, And we just had Austin on. He mentioned recruiting at the tail end there. A thousand uh, recruits who took official visits across the country in college football took a survey on, and they ranked, these high school players ranked the top brands for college football teams. Like, uh, who represents college football the best? The individual university brands. We will discuss and react to the list that Fox posted recently. That's next on Outkick 360.
What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Pac-12 and the Big 12, they're talking about each other. Not necessarily in a glowing way. In fact, uh, Klyavkov said that the Big 12 scared. <laughs> and, uh, this the the idea of the they're I mean they're they both should be. There's been something almost every day be. with the conferences talking to each other. It's like a new thing. It's not like it's not a bad idea for the two to come together. But man, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Outkick 360 continues as we discuss college football conference realignment and there will be one left standing it's like the octagon you're gonna have two commissioners go in one will leave that's the feeling you get with this is like the pac-12 or the big 12 can survive it's not both based on who's currently a member of those conferences and what we expect to happen i say expect because it's been floated out there with oregon and washington and some other teams as we prepare for more additions to the SEC or the Big Ten. Is the Pac-12, dare I say, back after today with this no. attitude and this swagger? Uh, there's not enough room in this country for two conferences with the number 12 in them. That is what George Klyavikov is basically saying to Brett Yormark, who is the commissioner of the Big 12. A few quotes I want to get into and discuss yes. with you guys. First, and, and you don't have to look hard to find the shots. There's one just right out there shot at the Big 12. But you don't have to look hard to find the shots at Big 12, SEC, and Big 10 from Klyavikov. He opened by talking about all of these decisions being driven solely by money. He understands money is going to be a big issue moving forward, but solely driven by money. He says, quote, Increased revenue can help us support our student-athletes, but a singular focus on money is going to cause more harm than good. Our long-term measure of the success of college athletics cannot be how much money we consolidate into 10 or 5 or 2 conferences, but rather our ability to support the largest number of student-athletes while still facilitating competition between schools and conferences, 
we should be measuring how many lies we can change. Now, most are going to chuckle and kind of say that's a Pollyanna-type view of how you do it, but he's not totally wrong. It's better than what the ACC said. You can't just take the sole approach of money. He's saying money matters, absolutely, but it can't solely be driven, every decision by money, and I agree with him on that. Um, So he goes on to say he was asked during the the question-answer portion about Brett Yormark of the Big 12 saying, we're open for business. Talking about, we'll, we'll bring on new teams. Asked about that, Klyavikov said, well, I appreciate that, but we haven't yet decided if we're going to be shopping there or not. Talking about the Big 12, which I absolutely love. He then went on to say, that remark was a reflection of the fact I've been spending four weeks trying to defend against grenades that have been lobbed in from every corner of the Big 12, simply trying to destabilize our remaining conference. I understand why they're doing it, but when you look at the relative media value between the two conferences, I get it. I get why they're scared, why they're trying to destabilize us. I was simply tired of it. I brought this up last week. When you go in and look at television ratings, it's not that close. The Pac-12 is better. Five current Pac-12 schools rank higher than the number one top Big 12 school that's remaining in television ratings over the last five years. Guys, we've been eyeing the Pac-12 as in a bad, bad spot. And they are. They're wounded. They just lost their two L.A. schools. They've got a terrible media deal because of a bad previous commissioner. But when you really take a second and just take a step back from all of this that's going on and look at what they have left with those 10 schools, it's not all that bad. We've said that a, a merger between the two is what's best for the, both conferences, and I still believe that. But I don't know if Klyabakov is completely off here in what they could accomplish. Well, I so I have a scenario for the Pac-12 that I think is more beneficial than the Big 12 in a uh, an agreement or a, a merger of sorts that I'll get to. But what I'm fascinated by is which of the two, both, so you've got Klavkov who took over for just a mess, a dumpster fire of a conference uh, based on the previous regime, which was just awful for their conference, financially, the whole thing. Um, He took over after he was working with NBC Universal. He, worked with Hulu. He also held a position with the A&E Networks. But most recently, prior to becoming the Pac-12 commissioner, he was with MGM Resorts. And so he's the business, he says it's not about money in the, as his role in the role of college athletics, but I mean, he was hired because he knows about money. He's a business and entertainment guy. Yes. It's his background. And he has plenty of connections. So does your mark. The connections run deep through Rock Nation. He's a co-CEO of Rock Nation. Prior to that, he was with the Brooklyn Nets, and he has a ton of nets he can cast within the NBA circuit of uh, basketball and television rights and networking that he can... I'm curious which of the two has the most juice with guys they can call on. I brought up, um, you know, you've got... Uh, Jay Monahan of the PGA Tour who called in favors with networks 
so that one didn't branch off and air any of the live tour events so far. Which of these two guys has the most juice to do something like this? Here's an example. And I heard this from uh, our good friend, Larry Stone of Sports Radio 104.7. He is uh, a massive North Carolina fan, ACC to the core. And I was discussing with him how the ACC stays afloat and what needs to happen so that teams don't abandon ship the same way we're seeing USC and UCLA do in the ACC. Point, you know, I was pointing to North Carolina, Duke, Clemson, uh, Florida State, Miami. others, Virginia, Miami. I mean, there's a, we could name them all. And he said his idea, aside from bringing the Irish in full-time as a, as a member of the conference, which needs to happen. That would that, be the cement. That would be a marker in the ground, flag stick in the ground, where it's now a big three instead of two immediately. And it, it is big three, but it doesn't feel that way. Notre Dame joining would solidify that. What he would propose is some type of agreement, an alliance between the Pac-12 and the ACC, where every year, week one of the college football season is between the two conferences. And you have more or less the bragging rights series between the two. And you would also have, based on finish for the season, bowl matchups between only the two conferences. And based on the partnership and the TV rights that you could bring on, because he's pairing that with the, pa- the fact that the, the ACC has that grant of rights deal with ESPN for over a decade. Meanwhile, the Pac-12 is negotiating theirs right now. He's saying you could branch and, and build onto the current rights agreement with ESPN and make it more beneficial based on the coastal elements of this. And you have East Coast, West Coast, and you play into that more long-term than just a one-off series. And because of this, you would have you know, your week one college football kickoff is a legitimately a great matchup for about half the conference on each side of the country. I like it, um, and I, I like the idea of pairing the ACC with one of these two more than I like the idea of the Pac-12 and the Big 12 pairing together to survive. That's the key, though, for about half the conference, right? Well, that's Central Florida, Kansas State against sure. the bottom dwellers in the Pac-12 yeah. are not interesting. But it doesn't have to be. And don't have any meaning. But the top stuff is good. I, I like it at the top and the, and the bottom of the season. The question to me, though, I, I, and that would be good. But the Big 12, Pac-12 stuff, something's going to happen. Who goes first and how? Like, Because they're both not whole, and they're kind of on equal footing. So what's the catalyst that makes something go first? Who's the big player? It's, it's Who's whoever the big school? gets the better TV contract. All right. So well, they're both going to go to market right around the same time. Yeah. And this is all. So what's TV want? So, Hutton, you're bringing up the who's got more juice with TV networks that's going to get the better deal. I will say this. I don't think that it matters. It does matter a little bit. You need a good relationship with TV networks in the negotiation to hopefully, you know, quote, unquote, win the negotiation if you're this conference. But every salesman's only as good as their product, ultimately. Who's got the best product? I'm going to give you the top programs 
in each right now from a strictly football yeah, perspective, it. okay? And I am going to throw in some of the new schools where I think they would be. Okay, and I'm talking about the Big 12. They don't have these schools yet, but they're going to be negotiating with these schools in mind. And I'm going straight down television ratings for each. Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Washington State, Colorado, Utah, Cal, or Oklahoma State, TCU, West Virginia, BYU, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Do the Big 12 again. Oklahoma State, TCU, BYU, West Virginia, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas Tech. Or, and I'm just going the top, really the top seven in each. Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Washington State, Colorado, Utah, Cal. That takes off Arizona, Arizona State, who's towards the bottom in television ratings in the Pac-12, but they would still be there. And I'm not accounting for, let's see, in the the, uh, Big 12, Kansas State and Kansas would be one other state. We're looking at state of Arizona, state of Kansas yeah. at the very bottom of both Which of side these do you go? I, I think it's pretty even, oh, right. but I go Pac-10. I go Pac-12. Pac-12. Yeah. yeah, Hands down. I go Pac-12 hands, hands, hands down. down. Yeah. Hands down. And now, it's, it's, it's just based on the the brands and the TV. The brands I, are strong. I'm thinking about just even... Even Utah, who's new, is, is oh, pretty Utah's new. Oh, Utah's going to be really is, good. It's very good. Utah's going to be really good uh, this year. Um... What, so do you, what do you think of the alliance between the ACC and one of these two? Where, where by the way, the, the week one college football season matchup would be determined NFL style based on last year's finish. So you are getting the best teams against the best teams one, in the one, conference. 1-1, two, 2-2, two, on and on. And well, you're I mean, selling that as a, a chip to a, a larger television Those package. are good TV games, the top ones. And the bottom ones are nothing. Yeah, nobody's watching. Well, just one example that – so – George Klavikov is saying, I'm sitting there taking grenades left and right from all corners of the Big 12 with all this speculation. One grenade that could go off that would hurt the Big 12 negatively that has nothing to do with the Pac-12 is what if the ACC actually stopped sitting down while this was happening and did something and went after West Virginia? West Virginia is the third biggest television brand in the Big 12 currently. If you wanted to wound them, on something you're not even looking at, if it's Pac-12 versus Big 12, it would be something like that happening, where the ACC goes and gets someone we're not expecting that makes more sense geographically for them and would possibly put them in a better spot. I think it would put them in a better spot. Puts them with their rivals. We talked about this. I I don't remember if you were – I think you and I talked about it. There was a Reddit post that was actually very intelligent, which is a very scary thing. I mean, they consider their biggest rivals Penn State and Pitt. Yeah. And they don't play Penn State or Pitt ever. ever. They're distant. And their their rivals now in the conference are nobody that they have any passion or feel about. I mean, I, I think there would be more natural rivals for West Virginia and the ACC geographically Far and better. with Pitt Far being added to the well, conference. Well, it's like, you know, it's in like their uh, Billy Lucci pointed out. Texas A&M hates Texas, but from a personal note, he's thrilled to have the Longhorns come to the conference because now you have a legitimate rival on your conference schedule. Who you again. have a long-term hate for. Yes, and it's built in and it's guaranteed year in and year out. That hate's underrated in all of this. Yeah, I mean, well, the passion behind it yeah. is what makes college football great. I mean, that no matter where you are or how good your team is, you're buying into where you're going to be on that specific day Third Saturday in October comes to mind between Tennessee and Alabama. And carry something all year long, the yeah. bragging rights. Yes. 
Um, that that's certainly there. The only the, the, if I'm the Big Twelve, I would respond and say, well, and you're you're downgrading your own value here, but it's true. The Pac-12 to me seems more vulnerable right now for the members to leave based on offers they'll receive. You know, we're already hearing yeah. Oregon, Cal, well, and that, Stanford, that's also because Washington. they have more desirable programs. Right, but if you that's take, a good thing. But for if the Pac-12, you take, that they have the ones people want. But if you're looking at, I mean, we're looking at Texas and Oklahoma not on the list in the Big Twelve. If we remove a couple from the top of the Pac-12 list, which would be Oregon and Stanford, but Washington, you mentioned, was third. I mean, where would Stanford and Cal, if you remove Oregon and Washington from this list and compare it to the Big 12, see, then it becomes yeah, more good. of a toss. And it, that's, I think that's more realistic based on what we're Yeah, hearing. then I would probably give a slight nod to the, the Big 12 if that happens. Well, here's the Just other thing from the TV out. perspective. The time zone, you know. I mean, it's a tra- more attractive TV, but it's not more attractive TV if you're talking 10 o'clock Eastern starts. Because well, uh, East Coast isn't watching 10 o'clock Eastern starts I, on Saturday I, night. But the 10 o'clock Eastern starts are on FS1 and CBS Sports Network. Like, that, in a, like CBS is going after the Big Ten contract. Um, it, is there... Well, they, could they, they go trying, after the Pac-12? Well, they were trying... That's what I'm talking The Pac-12, about. though, tried to float that 9 a.m. kickoff idea, right? Yep. Um, I mean, that that works well on the East Coast for eyeballs, but, I mean, that doesn't work well for... Your fans out there. I mean, LSU fans are upset when they kick off at a, you know 11 a.m. Imagine a 9 a.m. kickoff. They at, kick off at 2.30. At 2.30, <laughs> yeah, if it's not under the lights. I mean, I, I'm thinking I mean, it's tough to get a crowd going... If you've got a rivalry matchup, and the, it's the best game. That's why you would want it at 9 a.m., so it's kicking off. Because the, the big noon kickoff crushed it in the ratings this past year. Excellent. And it's not, we think prime time under the lights, but that window is the target window now. And do you want uh, your top game of the week out west kicking off at 9 a.m.? Just bear with me here on this because just this from is, an this atmosphere is a, standpoint. No, no, I don't want that at all. But here's what I want with the Pac-12. I want that 9 p.m. start. I want that Pac-12 after dark game that gets huge ratings. Big reason why some of these teams are above the Big 12 in ratings is because why the Big 12 game is happening at 2:30 on ESPN head two. To head. Yeah. ESPN is putting Washington State and Oregon on at 9:30 p.m. Central Time. Or 10 o'clock Eastern time, and people are watching. Those games get good numbers. To me, there is a universe where, and forgive me if I'm getting all the conglomerates off, CBS is in with Paramount, Paramount Plus, Viacom, right? So what if you had Paramount Plus, CBS, come in with a Pac-12 deal where you have a nightly, almost football night in America pregame show on CBS – at 7.30 or 8 p.m. Central that leads into a late-night kickoff on Pac-12. This is following up your afternoon Pac-12 game also. You can stream games on Paramount Plus now, which opens up a door for more lives. They have soccer right now on Paramount Plus, but more live sporting options with that streamer because they're in the streaming wars just like everyone else. you got to get creative. But I I do think that there is – CBS is – transitioning to a different part of their relationship with college football now that they're not going to have the SEC game of the week. Now that you're not going to hear the dun-dun-dun-dun every week. 
what's next for them. I think there is a thoughtfully done late uh, late night or prime time studio show recapping the day that is also serving as a pregame show for a Pac-12 late night kickoff to end every Saturday. Well, I agree with you about the recap show because the recap show is on like ESPN2 or what the best recap show of the day cuz I travel a lot on Saturdays, right? To, to where the Titans are, and I'm looking to catch up on all the highlights that I missed to be, you know, well-versed. And I got to do it before the end of Saturday because Sunday turns to NFL. And there isn't a great full recap show. And it's, there certainly uh, isn't one that's on a major network. It's well, because the, they're airing games. ESPN right. has the one that Mark May and Lou Holtz did for years together. Uh, scoreboard, maybe. ESPN College Scoreboard, something like that. Yeah, that's like their late-night recap show for college football but it ain't on uh their primary network because they got a game yeah and you're competing against that game right uh coming up college football brand rankings according to a thousand recruits who took official visits fox and uh fox college football they've got the rankings for you and we'll react to it next on outkick 360 another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network rolls on college football brand rankings according to the nation's top high school players. Number one, no big surprise, the Alabama Crimson Tide. This is from Fox College Football, uh, the official visit survey of 1,000 high school players. Chad, what stands out to you of this list? The top five are perfect for right now, honestly, based on success. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson. Great. That's the playoff. That also proves what a lot of people have been arguing, that this four-team playoff has set it up where there's a monopoly at the top. Because look at the top five. Oh, it just happens to be the top five teams that go almost every year to the college football playoff that are the top five brands, according to high school uh, athletes. Um, It is the bottom three that really have me perplexed. Mississippi State at 23, Maryland at 24, South Carolina at 25. Maryland is crazy. Um, that surprises me. That, how, how is Maryland there? They got a lot of really, Under Armour? That really, really surprises me. Maryland must have a lot of Under Armour. I guess. Um, Mississippi State, I was talking with Davey before the show about it. I mean, Mike Leach makes headlines. Can you guys go so back I to guess it they're, big, they're memorable that way. Shane Beamer's done a lot, you know, in terms of generating interest. So that's yes. a, must be a testament to what he's done, that 25. The quick math here. Um, the North S- Carolina surprised me at 14. The uh, SEC has 10 teams on this top 25. Big Ten has five. Uh, and again, this is not including their new members. So 10 for the SEC, not counting Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, Big 10, five, but not including UCLA and USC. Which Texas and Oklahoma are both top 10. UCLA four surprises me as high as 20. ACC with four teams. Let's Pac, also, Pac-12 with three. 
Oregon's their only future member on this list. Big 12 with two, no future members on this list. And the only independent is, of course, the Fighting Irish. I mean, UCLA, to me, is historical, and kids don't care about history They shouldn't be in. It's weird. Again, I can't say they shouldn't be on there. They are what they are. This is a thousand people polled, but I don't understand UCLA. I honestly don't understand Tennessee ahead of USC right now with Lincoln Riley. It's close. It's 18 and 19. It's right there. But look at the SEC teams that aren't there. Arkansas, uh, who's had great success under Sam Pittman. Uh, still kind of new. Not in there. Kentucky. Still kind of With new. Mark Stoops. Not on the list. Missouri, no surprise. Regardless of Eli Drake. What's the single weirdest one? No, the single weirdest one's got to be Maryland. The single weirdest one to me is Mississippi State, quite frankly. Ole Miss is really high. Yeah. I'm surprised they're 15th. That's the Lane Kiffin effect. That's Kiffin. But I was, I was shocked to see them that high on the list. The top 10, nothing really surprises me. I think Miami right now at 10 is a testament to Mario Cristobal in his recruiting efforts early on. And some history. Notre Dame at 12 seems to be a little bit low. Well, how about here's North what, Carolina at 14 will probably jump out to people also in the top 15. No, yeah, I don't know. That. I understand that either. Well, brand. I mean, it, that logo's out there a lot because of the basketball. The, uh, the thing that uh, I immediately think of is Brian Kelly just upgraded six spots in brand. Yeah. He went from 12 to 6. That's pretty amazing. And he went from Notre Dame, who's got their own national television contract with NBC, and he went up in brand recognition. This is a very interesting guy. Fox did a good job Also, doing this. look at the gap between Ohio State and Michigan. 2 to 16. That's a lot. And Michigan probably closed that gap somewhat in this last year. At least it did uh, in the on the field. Right? Yeah, I think what I really don't get, just wrapping it up with this whole list, UCLA at 20, I don't understand, and then the bottom three. Mississippi State, Maryland, South Carolina, all being in the top 25, surprise me. Good for them. Enjoy the weekend. We are back on Monday to recap it all. Brett McMurphy will join us to talk college football. Plus, big headlines recapped here starting at 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern for Outkick 360. Read it right here. Don't block the box, but do be sure to lock your locks.